Hi, family. Do you know that every year on the 9th of August, it's set aside to honor women? So happy Women's Day. It's a great day to affirm women, to love on women, to thank women for what they do, the role they play in their homes and, of course, society as well. It's a day to salute women, to remind all of us of God's great plan for our lives, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's a time for women to be reminded to rise and shine and let the glory of God be seen in us. Well, today, we want to salute Tatiana Schoenmaker, our South African Olympic swimmer. Well done! She set a world record in the 200-meter breaststroke. But you know what, family, what was so amazing? After winning, she gave glory to God. Yes, she did. She allowed her light to shine and her faith to be seen as she wrote on her social media. And she said, Father God, may your will be done. May your peace fill us up. And may we praise you no matter what the outcome. In fact, on Instagram, she wrote the words, all glory to God. As she surrendered her will to the Father's will for her life, God used her to shine for his glory. And God is looking for women in this day and age who will be willing to be used by him to make an eternal difference. And God uses women to transform homes, neighborhoods, regions, and even continents. If we look down the ages, we can see how God used women in spiritual awakenings to transform their cities. Now, how many of us will agree that our cities and our nation needs to be touched by the hand of God? Our nation desperately needs to have another spiritual awakening, one that will transform everything around us, one life at a time, one heart at a time, and one home at a time. If we look back in history, the spiritual awakening that transformed England and America was led by George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley in the late 17 and early 1800s. The Wesley brothers had a remarkably godly mother, thank God for godly mothers, named Susanna. Now she grew up in a time in London where few women were educated. Yet, her father taught her Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So when she was a mom, besides spending much time in prayer, Susanna found time to teach each one of her 10 surviving children. She taught them the word of God. Yes, that's right, 10. She originally had 19 children. She, in fact, was one of 25 children. But she originally had 19 children, and nine of her children died as infants. Four of her children were twins, and a housekeeper accidentally smothered one of her children. So here we have a mother who understood great loss, great pain and grief, and yet she said yes to the will and the call of God on her life. Despite Susanna's pain and loss, she allowed God to use her mightily. Now, we live in a time 
where COVID has touched all our lives. We too have lost people we love. We've lost children and aunts and grands and sisters and family members. And you might be hearing me today and you might be, your heart is full of pain, but Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And if you are brokenhearted today, I'm gonna pray that God supernaturally heals you now in Jesus' name so that you can allow him to use you mightily like he used Susanna. Yes, God wants to use you. Her son, John, when he was in the ministry, he used women leaders for small groups, which spread the revival so effectively. Wesley said, since God uses women in the conversions of sinners, who am I to withstand God? And I agree with him. Now, you know, the devil knows that his time is limited and he's doing everything he can to annihilate women, push women down, discourage women, abuse women, and to delay the completion of the Great Commission. But Jesus said we should open our eyes and look at the fields and see that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We don't need for your workers, family. We need more workers. We need the women in the army of God. But the enemy is trying to cut back the number of workers for the harvest in every way he can. If we look in the early part of the 19th century, God moved again in revival. In America, through Charles Finney. And he, he was invited, actually he invited women to pray and to speak. Charles Finney started the first college in America that allowed women to study alongside men. In fact, in 1853, one of his former students, Antoinette Brown, became the first woman ordained in America. One of the greatest woman preachers that ever lived was Maria Woodworth Etta. She was known as the grandmother of the Pentecostal movement. No woman has had to blaze as many trails for God as Maria Woodworth Etta has. Not only did she have to preach the gospel at a time when the public frowned upon women preachers, but as God used her, he used her to spread the fire of the Holy Spirit at a time when the church had forgotten just what that meant. And I pray today, and the sound of my voice, that you'll get a touch of the fire of God, that'll stir up the gifts within you, women, that we'll become everything God has created us to become. Well, in the face of opposition from churches and unbelievers alike, she had to sacrifice her reputation, her own ideas, of what she as a woman could do for God. Instead, she chose to gain a reputation in heaven. And that should be our cry too, that our reputation should not be of this earth, but one in heaven. She was born in Lisbon in 1844, and she answered the call to salvation at the tender age of 13. At the same time, she also heard God's call to be an evangelist. And later in her biography, she wrote, I heard the voice of Jesus calling me to go into the highways and the hedges and gather in the lost sheep. Well, sometime 
before she could actually bring herself to answer the call. In fact, she got married to a gentleman by the name of Philo Horace Woodworth. They had a son who died at a very young age. She had another son who in turn died. Again, he was a young boy when he died. Then she had a girl by the name of Georgiana. And at the age of seven, she died. Likely from the typhoid fever, as there was a huge outbreak in those days. And typhoid was the main killer of children, men and women in those days. Three weeks before Georgiana died, a little girl, Nellie, was born. However, she only lived four months before she died. She had six children altogether. However, only one survived adulthood. And yet, tragedy struck again as her last child was a victim of a streetcar accident. At her own daughter's funeral, Woodworth bravely stood and preached about the earthly house that would be dissolved and replaced by a permanent body in heaven. Many times in this life, Woodworth told the mourners, we have more thorns than roses. You might be feeling that today, that you've gone such difficult times and you feel you've gone through more thorns than roses. But God still wants to heal your broken heart and use you mightily for the kingdom. She preached an evangelistic message and she encouraged every mourner to be ready to meet their maker. Here was a mother who knew great sorrow, great grief, and yet still allowed her light to shine for the glory of God. So where did she find her comfort? She found her comfort in God's word. Now when she was young, she had a vision in which angels came into her room and showed a long, wide field of grain, which fell like sheaves as she preached. And she heard Jesus tell her, just as the grain fell, so will people fall. He said this would happen as she yielded to his call to preach the gospel, and she agreed. It was sometime afterwards before she could pluck up the courage to step out in front of people and obey the call to preach the word of God. But her first act of obedience was when she began to preach. And guess who she preached to? Family, she preached to her relatives. Yes, that's where we can begin in soul winning. We can start with our relatives, our families. And as she opened her mouth, the crowd began to weep on the floor, and some got up and ran out in tears, and she was only 35 years of age. Later in her ministry, she began to pray for the sick, and God healed them miraculously. And that's what God wants to do through your life. No matter where you are under the sound of my voice, God wants to use you to open your mouth, to speak the word of God, to pray for the sick, and he will heal them miraculously. She traveled all over the country holding revival meetings where even the worst sinners in the town were converted. Her ministry lasted 40 years, for over 40 years until her death in 1924. But I want to read to you. I want to read from Maria Woodworth Etta's writings. And she says this. She says, My dear sisters in Christ, may the Spirit of God come upon you 
and make you willing to do the work of God that he assigns to you. It is high time for women to let their light shine, to bring out their talents that they've been hiding away and that are rusted and use them for the glory of God and to do with their might what their hands find to do, trusting God for strength who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, she says, the fields are white. The harvest is great and ripe, and it is ready for the gospel sickle. Oh, where are the laborers who will gather in the golden grain? The world is dying, she says. The graves are filling. The hell is boasting, and it'll all be over soon. God left his glorious work of saving souls into the hands of the church. And what is a church composed of, she wrote? It's men, women, and children. We are putting up a building of God, and everyone is a part of the building. And if we cannot be a pillar or cornerstone, well, let us be a spike or a nail or even just a brick. Let us not despise the day of small things, she writes. Whatever we do for Jesus with the right motive is precious in his sight. God's church is a workshop, she wrote. No idlers allowed. She said the work is great and the time is short. And God offers a great reward. Like the blind man, we will tell what God has done for us. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Oh, hear the master calling for soldiers. He says, He will lead us into victory. Oh, who will respond to the call? Who will place his name on the heavenly roll? Who will enlist in the war and help to conquer the mighty foe? Who will help to beat back the powers of darkness? He does not ask us to die, but he asks us to live forever. And he will give us a glorious bounty, she wrote, eternal life. And we shall be rewarded according to our work. Those that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. We do not want to have starless crowns. Oh, let us win stars for the master's glory. And of course, we know that she's talking about souls. It's interesting, though, to note that Maria Woodward Ether, when she breathed her last breath at the 80 years of age, she had set the stage for other great women preachers. And one was like Amy Semple McPherson. Amy Semple McPherson was a very dramatic, theatrical girl. And she said, show me a better way to persuade people to come to church and I will be, try, I will be happy to try your method. But please don't ask me to preach to empty seats. Let's not waste our time quarreling over methods. For God has use of us all. Remember the recipe of the rabbit stew, she said. It begins with, first catch your rabbit. In other words, God can use us all in different ways, but as long as we're winning souls for Jesus, and we can do that, girls. Perhaps what Amy Semple McPherson is most remembered for today is for the founding of the Four Square denomination, and still growing today. In fact, she accomplished what no man has had yet ever been able to accomplish in ministry in her day. 
1922, she built a 5,000-seat auditorium in the prestigious area of Los Angeles, and she was the envy of Hollywood. What became the home of the Church of the Foursquare Gospel filled four times each Sunday and twice weekly. Movie stars would go to her church, such as, well, we all know Charlie Chaplin, right? We've heard of him. Anthony Quinn, Mary Pickford, Jean Hallow, those two I don't know, but I certainly know uh, Charlie Chaplin, and I know Anthony Quinn, or of him, and they were known to attend her uh, services at the Angelus Temple. As a dramatic, theatrical person herself, Amy's drama, music, opera, and extravagant stage sets to convey the gospel. Her tenacity, her creativity, and her courage have left a far-reaching legacy both in the Christian broadcasting and entertainment world. She reached the unreachable. In fact, she opened territories for Christ where literally no man had gone before. Not only did Amy Simple McPherson break the barrier for women evangelists during a time when women were not accepted in the pulpit, but she also built the largest auditorium of the day. She even established a Bible school. And guess what? Girls, she did this in the midst of the Great Depression. Now, I looked up the characteristics of what went on in the Great Depression. Well, there was a steep climb a decline of industrial production. There was inflation of prices. There was massive unemployment. You know, there was a run on the banks. No loans were given. There was a sharp increase in poverty. There was homelessness. And of course, you've seen movies or even uh, pictures of people standing for lines and lines and lines in lines just to get bread. Remember that? And that was all caused by the misguided government policies. And I saw that on the internet. I didn't make that up. But during this time of depression, where people were committing suicide, they were so depressed, during this time, she was able to help one and a half million people. They were able to receive aid from her ministry. Isn't that incredible? Here's a woman who was just sold out to God and said, God, use me. And of course, we're not all the same. We don't want to be the same, but God can use us in our own personalities, and God wants to use you too. She was also acknowledged by the President of the United States and by the media for her enterprising theatrics and daring in reaching the lost. And she remains a true hero of the faith. Shortly after committing her life to the Lord, she was given a vision. It was a vision of a black river rushing past with millions of people being swept into it. They were helplessly pushed along by the current, falling over a waterfall. Then she heard the Lord saying, and I believe he's saying it to you and I today, he said, become a winner of souls. She became hungry for God for more of God and for the power of God to fulfill her life and her calling. She married a man by the name of Robert, and they went on a missionary trip to Hong Kong. After two months, they both contracted malaria, and her husband died. 
Soon after, she gave birth to a four-pound baby girl. But as she lay exhausted and mourning in the Hong Kong hospital, overcome with grief at the loss of her husband and the thought of carrying on missionary work on her own, her mother sent word for her and enough money for her to return home. This young, grief-stricken missionary came back home with a tiny baby in her hands, in her arms, and after mourning the loss of her husband, for almost a year, she became restless with the call of God, calling her to fulfill her ministry. And so she returned to Chicago and New York, and she began to start preaching all over again. And God continued to call her into an evangelistic ministry. And she did that. She preached everywhere that she could, and she was teaching the Word of God. In 1914, listen to this, this is incredible, she became very ill. The physicians told her mother, you better come here and, and spend time with her because she is going to die. She's approaching death. And, but listen, family, as she lay in a lifeless coma, Amy still heard God's voice calling her, speaking to her, saying, Amy, will you go? And from somewhere deep inside her, she managed to whisper to God that she would go. So when she opened her eyes, all the pain was gone. And with two, within two weeks, she was up and ready to go and do God's work. And from that point on, Amy was determined to follow God, no matter what the cost. Are we willing to follow God, no matter what the cost? And the Lord led her to settle in Los Angeles in the wake of the Azusa revival where people were ready to receive her ministry. And that's, of course, where she raised the money to build the Angelus Temple. But she used every opportunity. She used every worldly means at her disposal to present the gospel to as many people as possible. Here was a woman in a man's world. But she believed in the God who had called her to fulfill the greatest commission. And women, ladies, girls, that was to be a winner of souls. That the greatest commission that God has called us to be is a soul winner. And she once wrote, she says, you don't have to be an orator. What God wants is plain people with the good news in their heart who are willing to go and tell others, is that us? Are we paying people? Will we have the good news in our heart? Will we be willing to go and tell others about Jesus? The love of winning souls for Jesus sets a fire, burning in one's bones. Soul winning, she said, is the most important thing in the world. All I have is on the altar for the Lord. And while I have my life and my strength, she said, I put my whole being into carrying out this great commission. Amy went home to be with the Lord in 1944. The Four Square Church now has grown and there are currently more, more than 10 million members in over 149 countries around the globe. Did God use a woman? I think so. Let's have a look at Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Look, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. (laughs) Glory to God. And the believers soon surrounded, they were surrounded by thousands of people, and among this multitude were religious pilgrims that had come from every part of the Mediterranean world. Here they found 120 men and women still bursting with joy, babbling words they didn't even understand. And a large group gathered around. It must have looked so strange. In fact, one onlooker was jeering and mocking and said to him, look at these people. They are drunk. They are nothing but a bunch of drunks. They were amazed. They were perplexed. What does this mean? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And this is what happened according to Acts 2. The Holy Spirit, it didn't just fall on the 11 apostles, but the precious Holy Spirit fell on the 120 men and women. Each onlooker in the crowd found someone preaching in his and her language, and even Peter had to get up and explain quickly all about it. Besides the strange supernatural signs, the women were preaching. They were declaring the wonders of God. And it's not for those days. It's for today. God is calling women. Come on, women. Proclaim my glory. Proclaim my word. Peter had to get up and remind them what the prophet Joel said in Joel 2.28 when he said, And it shall come to pass. Afterwards, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. Your sons, but look your family, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants. And I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, and we've seen that before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord forevermore. Every point of Peter's sermon was so crucial that day because the global church was birthed and being launched. One of its features would be the absence of nationality, would be the absence of class, and the absence of gender barriers. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the sons and daughters, male and female. It was a tremendous time of freedom not just for the woman, but for all the people who had come to hear about the word of God. In fact, at that time and place of Jesus' birth, women were usually regarded as second-class citizens, as inferior human beings. In fact, many men refused to speak to their wives in public. Can you believe that? Many Jewish rabbis refused to speak to women other than their closest relatives. And in the light of this great, rich history of women, Jesus 
always treated women with great respect. He loves you. You're important to Jesus. And Jesus always did so much to elevate the status of woman. He spoke openly to women and allowed them to touch him publicly. And even his disciples marveled at this. And when they found him speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, remember that? They were so surprised. But Jesus not only spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, but he also revealed her past to her. He also said that he was the Messiah. But when she encountered his love for her, she changed completely and she became an evangelist. And that's what happens, girls, when we encounter the love of Jesus in our hearts. We become evangelists, that right? That means we tell others about him. And she went along and she told the whole village all about him. So her village changed. So you might be in a remote part of Africa watching me today, and you can change your whole village if you tell them about the love of Jesus. And as a result of her telling the people in her village about Jesus, a number of Samaritans came to believe in Christ. Do you remember when the woman with the hemorrhage uh, touched the hem of, of Christ's garment? He not only healed her of an issue of blood, but he freed her from his sins. None of Jesus' encounters with women can be called typical. Do you remember while eating at the Pharisee's house? Jesus allowed a woman with a past to touch him. The Pharisees muttered, if he was a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is who touches him. But Jesus rebuked them, and he pointed out to Simon the Pharisee, which happened to be his host, that he had actually not offered him the tradition of foot washing or the greeting, which is a kiss. But yet this woman, she had bathed his feet in her tears, and she had kissed his feet and she'd wiped them with her hair. And Jesus said, because her love is great, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. So Jesus set a new standard of treatment for outcast women and directly met one of the woman's personal cries for acceptance and forgiveness. So if you believe in God today, you feel an outcast, you feel I've done so much wrong, Jesus loves you, wants to change your life forever, and he wants you to have an encounter with him. In fact, Jesus discipled women just the same way as he discipled men. Mary sat at his feet and learned from him. In fact, Jesus did more to lift up women than any other person in history. What about Paul, people say? Well, Paul issued some of the most enlightening statements ever made regarding women. For example, he wrote in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We also know that Paul labored side by side with women. And because of Christ's example and Paul's teaching, women have had a tremendous influence in the spreading of Christianity across the globe. Women we know have served in God's kingdom. Some have been martyrs, obviously wives and mothers, writers, educators, missionaries, businesswomen, among other things. 
And I, as the mother of this church, mother of Christian Family Church, I want to champion the right of women to choose the call of God on their lives and to give more and more people the opportunity to serve God and the body of Christ with the gifts that God has given to you. Some women are called to be leaders. Some are called to be homemakers. Some are called to be preachers, teachers. I believe we should all be evangelists by telling people about the love of God. Some are writers, educators. Some have got the gift of hospitality, right? But a woman must have the freedom to obey God, especially in this last generation. We need you girls, and you need to be fulfilled in the gifts that God has given to you. When we look to see what Jesus has done to release women and what the Holy Spirit has done during different periods of revival, we must determine to do everything in our power to release those whom God is calling today. We must remove all obstacles so that this generation, our daughters and our granddaughters, they can follow God's leading and fulfill his call. Remember, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, his friend came out of the tomb alive, but he was still bound up in the burial shroud. So Jesus told those standing around to loose him and let him go free. But Lazarus needed someone to help him go free. Multitudes of women are alive today but are still tied up in the burial shroud of human tradition and human culture. Tradition says that women are second-class citizens and cultural ideas tell us we cannot carry out the highest calling of God's kingdom. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. And it's high time, women, it's time for us to awake, arise and shine, to fulfill your calling in Jesus' name. And may you be ignited in your heart with a fresh flame of the fire of God to win souls. Come, girls, we can change this nation. Mothers and grandmothers and sisters and aunts, we can do it. Let us allow the glory of God to be seen in us as we change our nation, our cities, our neighborhoods, our villages, one soul at a time. Happy Women's Day. I love you. Become a soul winner.